Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. My guest today, Orlando von Einsiedel, is the director of the new Netflix documentary, The White Helmets. The film follows members of the Aleppo contingent of the Syrian Civil Defense Corps, otherwise known as the White Helmets. This is a group of volunteers from around the country that serve as rescue workers. When a building is bombed, the White Helmets rush to the scene to deliver first aid and dig through the rubble to find survivors. They are unarmed and apolitical, but in recent weeks, as Russian and Syrian forces have intensified the battle for eastern Aleppo, the White Helmets have increasingly become a target themselves. In the last week alone, four of their bases in Aleppo have been bombed, and they're often the victim of a bombing strategy known as Double Tap, in which a second bomb is unleashed on a civilian target just as rescue workers are arriving on the scene. In this conversation, director Orlando von Einsiedel, whose credits include the documentaries of Arunga and Skatistan, describes the work of the White Helmets and his decision to make them the subject of his newest film. And as you'll glean from this conversation, I really did appreciate this film and the ways in which it humanized some of the only real heroes of this depraved conflict. And one last note before we begin, this is, at least for now, going to be the final fundraising drive episode of the month of September. So please make your contribution to the podcast. I literally cannot do this without you. Make a recurring monthly contribution to the podcast. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com or you can, if you're listening to this on iTunes, just click on the link in the description page and it'll take you right to a page where you can make your recurring contribution. The payments are made via PayPal. I don't get any of your credit card information. PayPal just pays me, you know, at the end of the month. Uh, and I, I so need this from you to help me keep making this podcast. Really, there's no other podcast on the planet like this that covers these issues in the way that I cover them on such a consistent basis. And I need your help to keep it going. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now here is my conversation with Orlando von Einsiedel. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health. Tune into global health matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. White Helmets began a number of years ago as a sort of medical services uh, and rescue services collapsed. Ordinary citizens began to group together and when there were bomb strikes, they would run in and they would pull people out of the rubble. Um, and then in 2014, as they started to grow and more and more groups formed, they, they became an official organisation. Uh, they are officially known as the Syria Civil Defence. But um, they're kind of the name, the name that's sort of more widely known, especially internationally, is the, the White Helmets. And who founded them? 
Do they have a single sort of origin founder? I think it'd be wrong to name a single person as the founder. There, there were a number of people that contributed to the to the forming of the organisation. The first uh, democratically elected leader is a an extraordinary gentleman called Riyad Al Salah. So, I mean, he's often credited with 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 founding them, and he played a key part. But but there's there's lots of different people that contributed. And who is he, and what's his background? Like like most white helmets, he was an ordinary an ordinary guy. He sold electrical goods um, in Idlib, um, and you know when the war came, like like all of these guys, he made he made an extraordinary decision. He didn't he didn't leave Syria. He didn't pick up a gun. Instead, he decided that every single day he would risk his own life to impartially rescue complete strangers after after bombs and and you know that that ethos is what runs through this this organization and and it's 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 one of the reasons that attracted uh, us to the to the story in the first place so that was going to be my, my next question of all the the stories around the world you could have told i mean you, you're you're an acclaimed documentary filmmaker i suspect probably a, a number of my listeners have have seen some of your other films why did you choose this subject to create a documentary around? Uh, well, I, I, I guess there's two answers. There's, there's a kind of a, there's, there's the answer, which is, you know, I, I think, I, I guess a, a sort of a wider context answer is, that, you know, I, I, we felt that the narrative in Syria had, had really become focused on um, the refugee crisis in Europe and a story of ISIS and terrorists. And, there was very little out there about ordinary civilians, ordinary Syrians, and the, you know, and the millions of them that are left behind. Um, so this story, following, following, you know, the, the, the story of the white helmets, gave us an opportunity to try and refocus things a bit and and and, and tell that story that was that we felt was missing. But from a from a more personal level, as filmmakers. Um, a lot of our work over the last couple of years has focused on telling the stories of people who who are willing to to risk their lives for something bigger than themselves, for a bigger cause. And and as filmmakers, we we've always found that deeply inspiring. I think it gives us all faith in humanity again. You know, there's there's so much so much darkness in our world, so many problems. And and, and I think when you when you read or watch or find out about these stories of people making incredible sacrifices uh not you know for for, for really altruistic reasons it, it really gives me faith again in humanity and it and it also it it makes me and and joanna and uh, you know our producer on this project i know it makes us also want to be better human beings ourselves so it's so interesting that, that you mention altruism because you know coming into the film for me i i expected this to be a sort of documentary of a, a number of, of altruists who are very bravely risking their lives to to save others uh, but what struck me uh, at least in, in in one scene um in which uh the group that you document is reunited with the miracle baby and, and we'll go into what the miracle baby was there's one man I, I don't recall his name but he made me actually question uh the assumption that what he's doing is actually altruistic because he seems to make the point that he is doing this because it makes him happy 
that you know saving that baby is like the only happiness that that he can really feel in this uh, depraved situation in this otherwise depraved situation and so there is it seems at least some sort of almost a, like a selfish motive a need to find that happiness among this depravity well it's interesting you say that i i, I guess i would i would say that for sure anytime anyone does any Anything like this, any, you know, when you risk your own life, there, there are a multitude of motivations. Um, but I suppose it's like it's like an aid worker. It's like a UN worker in, you know, working in, um, let's say, in, in Congo, for instance, another place I spent a lot of time. Um, sure, there are there are elements of the motivation that, to, to risk their lives, to protect people that might be um, that make them feel good. That might make that person feel good themselves, but there's also a compelling reason to do it because, because, you know, that's, that's about being a good person and helping fellow citizens. So I, I wouldn't deny what you're, what you're saying, but I, but I would also say it, it might fit in there amongst other more compelling motivations. Um, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about your process, about how you went about putting together this, this film. I mean, I, I know from, from covering the, the Syria conflict from afar uh, that the White Helmets uh, typically use a lot of film and post a lot of their, their stuff to, to YouTube. Uh, but were you able to access Syria and, and sort of personally you know, go in there and, 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 and film yourself? So my, uh, me and, 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 my, and my film team, you know, we, we spent a lot of our careers working in, in conflict zones. Um, but the thing is with where we wanted to film in, in Aleppo, even, even if you can reconcile the risks uh, from the daily bombardment from, you know, the Assad regime and, uh, and its allies, um, that, you know, the, the, the kidnap risk for journalists is uh is extremely high um and so high in fact that to go there at the moment is 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 really incredibly reckless um the interesting thing with this project is we didn't even have to sit down and try and make make those decisions because we had a a brilliant opportunity to collaborate with the white helmets themselves um all all the major white helmet teams they also include a, a media officer who, when there is a bomb strike, they join, uh, they join the rescuers and um, and they they document what is happening, and that's about gathering evidence about potential human rights abuses. Uh, it's about documenting their work and then putting it up online for you know for for the world for the world to see. So we we actually shot the film in um, uh, in, in southern Turkey. Um, during a training course that the White Helmets were doing, and one of these media officers joined them from Aleppo, um, uh, a young man called Halid Khatib, uh, who's a very, very talented um, photographer and budding filmmaker um, based out of Aleppo. Um, and during the, the five weeks we were filming with them, um, we helped improve Halid's uh, documentary filming techniques, and he worked very closely with. Franklin Dow, our, our cinematographer, um, and then we also provided Halid with a with a, a better video camera than the one he had. And when the course finished and all the White Helmets went back into Syria, Halid went with them as he normally would, and he continued to do his everyday job. Except this time, he shared the footage with us, um, and he also worked alongside two colleagues of his. Um, and and they shared their material with us. And so most of the footage from inside Syria comes from them. 
Um, additionally, some of it comes from the wider archive of the White Helmets themselves. You mentioned that most of, of what you filmed was in uh, southern Turkey during a, a training session. Uh, but I'd love to go back and and talk through uh, one of the rescues that sort of provides something of a centerpiece, at least to, to me, to the film, the, the, the so-called Miracle Baby. Uh, can you sure. describe, uh, I guess, the, the events leading up to, to that rescue? Sure. Well, I mean, this was actually the first bit of material that I'd ever seen about, about the White Helmets. And, I mean, it, it left a very, you know, a, a very strong mark on me. Um so this is an incident which took place in Aleppo about um, 18 months ago, maybe two, maybe two years ago now, um, where the regime, the Assad regime, dropped uh, a barrel bomb. Um, uh, in fact, they dropped two barrel bombs on a very heavily populated area. Um, and uh, a couple, because it was a, a very large, there was a large amount of damage, a couple of different white helmet um, teams headed down there and uh, they immediately started rescuing people and uh, sadly pulling out a number a lot of dead bodies as well um anyway they'd been they'd been working for perhaps about 10 hours um and at this point they were considering bringing in heavy machinery because they they assumed they couldn't hear anyone anymore they assumed there was no one left alive so you know bring they'd bring in a, a jcb and start properly clearing the area when one of them heard um, a name, a, a guy called Halid Hara. He heard a baby crying and he started to tell his colleagues, I can hear a baby. And no one, no one else believed him. Everyone else was like, no, 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 it's been, it's been 10 hours. You know, this is several stories of building. There is no one else left. And he said, I swear I can hear a baby. And, sudden, and so they all got everyone to be quiet. And suddenly they could all hear the very faint cry of a baby. And then they spent another seven hours digging. Um, they, you know, some of them have been working there for about 16 hours. Uh, and finally, this, the head of a baby, which turned out to be just one week old, they found they could see it under the rubble. And then a lot more very, very gentle digging. And finally, they, they managed to pull this baby out. And um, they, they called this baby the, the miracle baby. Uh, but then in southern Turkey, when you're filming, uh, the, crew, the crew is then reunited with that baby a, a year and a half later. How did that reunion come about? Well, the, so after, I mean, you know, the, the, the tragedy of, of um, Muhammad, the, sorry, Mahmoud, the, ba the baby's story is um, that most of his family died in that, in that bombing. Um, and his mum survived and the two of them fled to Turkey. So, you know, they were based um, not too far away from the training centre and they are, they've been in contact with the White Helmets. And while we were there, they ended up coming together. I don't want to spoil too much of the film, uh, so I won't go into too, mu too much detail, but, um, but uh, it, was a, it was an extraordinary moment. Uh, and, and I suppose it's, it's made even more extraordinary and even more perhaps somber uh, with the news uh, last month that uh, Khalid Omar, one of the, the rescuers himself, died in, in an airstrike. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really tragic. I mean, he was one of the earliest White Helmets. Um, he, became, he became a sort of a figurehead after that video was first put online because he's the one that actually pulls pulls baby Mahmoud out. Um, and 
yeah, he's uh, you, you know I, I I didn't ever meet him personally, but by by the from the stories of of all all the white helmets that we spent time with, you know, he's much much loved, um, and and a fantastic rescuer, and he's saved countless lives. Um, and yes, yeah, so three weeks ago he was in a rescue, and a second barrel bomb was dropped, and he was killed um, from um, a piece of shrapnel. The rescue that he led of of the miracle baby is obviously a very dramatic moment, uh, not only in the film but also in you know, in in the trajectory of, of in the history of of the Syrian civil war. But uh, what I found inter- so interesting about your film is that to me the the sort of biggest drama of that that I experienced watching the film, the biggest emotional response that I experienced watching the film happened not really at, at that moment so much as your scenes from what appeared to be um, like a dorm room or a hotel room in uh, southern Turkey when the crew is on a training mission uh, and they are watching films and, and, and following emails and internet stories about various um, bombings that are happening in their hometown and just struggling to figure out who among their friends and family have been injured, have been killed, or have been spared by these attacks. And, and just the, the confusion uh, around that is just so wrenching uh, to, to, to see. I I I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more. Um, it's it's so you know the, the lives these these guys lead. It's so difficult. You know when they, when they're in when they're in Syria and they're daily responding to bombs. That's one thing. But even when they leave the country and they're in you know the the a peaceful environment like like Turkey, um, and yet the war never leaves them. Uh, they just they just can't, cannot escape it and. Those moments were 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 just horrendous because they do they'd be training in the day and then they then they'd end up back uh, where they were staying and they'd get internet and immediately their phones start to beep and these horrible you know terrifying messages start to come through about what's happened that day who's been injured who's been killed um, and uh, you know it's, it's heart wrenching. Uh, what was it like? I mean, to be in the room to to sort of watch these men kind of go through these emotional roller coasters uh and and sort of witness that um uh, well i i mean you know deep, deeply uncomfortable i i w- i would say that there were every inch of us as a as a filming team wanted us to put the camera down and say this enough's enough we you know we should we should stop filming now um the thing is the white helmets would say to us, no, you, you have to film this. This is what, this is what our lives are like. And people need to see this. This is what us, this is what people in Syria are going through every day. And, um, and of course, what right do we then have to, to say this is uncomfortable for us and we should stop filming. One, one thing I want to, to ask, I mean, in, and it's, it's something that I think is very apparent upon watching your film that this is, this is a group of men, right? There, there are men, uh, there are no women, uh, in, in this group. And I'd be curious to, to learn a bit about the role of, of women in, uh, the white helmets. I mean, it doesn't appear that any of the rescuers themselves are women, uh, but is there any, like, you know, role that they would play to, to support at least the, the men that are doing these rescues? Well, actually, there are there are women, there are female white helmets, um, and there are a number of them in in Syria. Um, it just 
happened that um, on the course that we went on, the, it was it was uh, there was only men, and there are, you know, percentage-wise, there's a lot more men than, than women, but there are groups of female white helmets. Do the the white helmets that you've spoken to that you've interviewed? You know, ever sort of express a desire to to flee, to become refugees, or I mean, what do they tell you about their reasons for staying? You you know, it's a <clears throat> that's a really it's a really good question, and, and you know, we were filming with uh, about thirty of them for a number of weeks in in Turkey, and we as a film team we were asking ourselves, you know, are, are any of them are they all going to go back? There's they they're just there's this opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to, to leave. Um, but I mean, this is what we were thinking right at the very beginning uh, of what transpired is um, in fact, they didn't even want to really be there. They wanted to be back. They, you know, they were, while they knew this training was important because these guys are ordinary, ordinary people. They are builders. They are bakers. They are carpenters they're they're normal people who 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 are doing this extraordinary thing so so they need this training they need you know this will help them save more lives um but uh they they when it came to that day to go back into syria they were all very very ready to go back in and and it, it you know it didn't cross any of their minds to to consider anything else the film is is fantastic it's it's very serious i'm wondering if off camera there are ever like any moments of of levity of repose or, or anything like that 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 you could relay uh, the, the, i mean yes there there were there were loads i you know I, I think actually one of the surprising things for all of us was that these guys despite everything in, insight in spite of everything uh was was so full of of, of humor um and um you know we did have earlier edits of the film that included some of these much lighter moments one of the things when you do a short film is you know time is uh you don't have a lot of time and it's it's harder to include sort of longer sequences that um, are kind of not driving the story forward in the way that in, in the most direct way. But uh, I mean, our cinematographer used to, you know, he used to like to take a nap um, and uh, the, the white helmets would, would find it hilarious to tie his leg to a, a water cooler. Um, <laughs> so that, <laughs> um, and they, you know, there, there was all, there was, bizarrely enough, there was a lot, a lot of laughing. I mean, we were laughing every couple of, you know, every, every hour or something, there'd be a, a belly laugh because of some practical joke someone would, would pull on someone else. And uh, yeah, we were definitely sad that we couldn't include more moments like that in the film. Um, so what's next? So this film is out on Netflix. Uh, what is, is next for you for this film? You know, there, there is a not, you know, unlikely chance that this group may even be, you know, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize this year, as, which would certainly raise their, their profile internationally. Um, what, what's next for you in, in terms of this film? Yeah. Well, so I, I, I guess, I guess first off, I, you know, I, I sincerely hope they do win the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I, I think their their work is extraordinary. I've been very privileged to, to travel to travel the world with with the work I do. Um, but you know, myself, uh, Joanna, our producer, and the rest of the film team, I, I think we really haven't met people as extraordinary as these guys. And uh, they've they've saved almost sixty thousand lives in the last couple of years. It's what what they've done is is just you know i'm almost i'm speechless to say it's very difficult to put it into words how how brilliant 
their work has been. Um, in terms of what's next for us, we, you know, we make the films that we make, we, we get very deeply involved in them. And it's very hard for us to sort of just finish a film and move on to the next one. Um, what we're going to be doing over the next few months is working as hard as we possibly can with this film to to raise awareness about what the white helmets are doing to to shed light on on, on the plight of um, Syrian civilians um, and you know and 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 that that's what we're going to be doing and and we hope people we hope as many people as possible see the film and we think it's it's wonderful that it's on Netflix and it's it's so widely accessible to a global audience. Uh, well, Orlando, thank you so much for your time and, frankly, for this this film, which is is revealing and is fascinating and and is is a wonderful film. Thank you very much. It was really nice to talk to you. Thanks for your interest. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Orlando and the good people at Netflix for sending me the film. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is the last episode of the September fundraising drive, so please make it count. I, I so appreciate it if you would make a monthly recurring contribution to the podcast. And as I've mentioned, as a sweetener, if you would like, I will send you a book at random from my own personal collection of foreign policy books. So make that contribution. I need it. The podcast needs it. Uh, and from strength to strength. All right. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.